Welcome to worship. It's good to see everyone. Uh, again, I am uh, Shane Whalen. I'm the pastor of uh, student families here at Rivermont. Uh, you can open up your Bibles to uh, Psalm uh, chapter 78. Psalm 78 is where uh, we will be this morning as we come to the Word of God. And as you're doing that, uh, I want to say that you know, one of the great privileges of, of being the pastor of student families to tell middle and high school students uh, the wonders of God's love for them and all, we, all He has done for them in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. I find it a joy to be able to share the gospel, encourage students, and give them uh, hope. And there are many conflicting messages and things that uh, distract students, but reminding them of God's love and seeing lives changed by the power of the Holy Spirit as a delight, and it gives our students a sense of purpose and understanding of what we were truly created for. And this responsibility is not just mine, but as God's word tells us, it is the parents' primary responsibility to pass on the faith, to teach and instruct their children about uh, the ways of the Lord. And this is one of the things that we value within our student ministry here at Rivermont. I strive to encourage and equip uh, parents in this great calling that the Lord has given them. It's my hope and prayer that the things I am teaching and telling our students from the Word of God is not the only time that they're hearing about spiritual things. I should be reinforcing uh, what is happening at home. I know that that is not always the case. We all have days. uh, The only time the Lord or Jesus is mentioned at home is at the prayer before dinner. That's if we even remember uh, to pray. I understand that we may feel awkward uh, talking about spiritual things or struggle with what to say and know what to tell our children even So as we turn our attention to God's word, one other thing I would like to say that this responsibility is not limited to parents. This is not going to be a sermon just for families. So don't check out if you're not a current parent or don't have children. Uh, This is for everybody. This is a team effort that the entire church is involved in. We truly do it better when we do it together. Uh, Psalm 78 helps us and gives us all guidance to see uh, and tell the coming generation. And I would say this, boy, do we have a story to tell. So let's read uh, Psalm 78 verses 1 through 8. That will be our primary uh, focus. I will refer to a few other verses in Psalm 78, but 78, 1 through 8 will be our main focus Let's turn our attention to God's word. This is his holy, eternal word, absolute truth. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard, have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. 
He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we are grateful for this morning. Thank you for your eternal word. It is true and it is good. And Lord, we ask now that your spirit would come. Give us ears to hear, hearts to listen. Open our eyes to understand these spiritual things. Lord, we need your help. And Lord, I do ask that during this time, Uh, that I would decrease, that you would increase. And Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. Uh, Lord, our rock and redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. So what do we tell our children and future generations? First, I would say this. Verse 4 tells us this, that we should tell the coming generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Perhaps when we think about raising children, some of the things that come to mind is uh, teaching them about good manners, uh, developing good study habits, uh, how to cut the grass, chores around the house, personal hygiene, being kind and respectful to other people, how to drive, uh, how to make a budget, and so on. But uh, verse 4 teaches us that all Christian parenting and education begins with God. Not with us and how to teach our children to make it in this world, but instead with God and what He has done. God created the world we live in and He is the author of all of our stories. And understanding who He is and what He has done shapes and molds the rest of our understanding of what we encounter in this world. This is developing a biblical worldview and seeing life through the lens of Scripture. We do because of what God has done. And then we begin to understand more and more what it means to do all things to the glory and for the glory of God. I think we would all agree if there is one memory that our children should have about our families and our church, it is this. They should remember God. God was first. Not sports teams, not school and grades, not what what college they get into, not family legacy, being the second or third or fourth generation that goes to a particular School, not nice vacations, not getting a job and making money, not cars. God is greater than anything that the world can offer and should be the first priority in all of our strivings. I hope and pray that all of our covenant children know that God was and is the most important. So much so that when they grow up and think back about their childhood, they would think, wow, my family 
loved God and they loved his word. And so did the church that I grew up in. Keeping God at the center and telling of his glorious deeds and the wonders he has done helps make this a reality. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he told them to do this very thing in regards to the Passover. We read this in Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 and 27. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. The actions of God's people could be confusing and mysterious if not explained. And this is what verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 78 are telling us. The parables, the dark sayings... The things of old need to be made clear. We do not need to hide them. And this is probably not breaking news, but children ask questions. The Passover and other feasts could be made clear by explaining what God had done and telling about these important events in the history of God's people. The Passover along with the telling of the story of the ten plagues and how the Lord allowed the people of God to cross on dry ground as the Red Sea parted and needed to be told again and again and again and again and again and again and again to each and every generation. Hearing and remembering what God does for His people is a great encouragement Think about the situation that Israel was in. They were slaves. It seemed like there was no hope for them. But God in His goodness raised up Moses and delivered His people in a miraculous way. So knowing and remembering no situation is too difficult for the Lord gave hope to the people of Israel. And it should give hope to us as we face hardship and suffering. For our children, there are times in life when things seem hopeless and impossible to deal with and to get through. And probably there's no greater example than the last seven months or so. Depression and suicide rates have increased drastically along with poor mental health and substance abuse. So we should remind them of the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Nothing is too hard for God. That He is sovereign over all things. That He is at work even during this difficult and unusual time. Now I would say this, along with the Lord and what He has done in Scripture, we also need to share personal stories from our life in which God worked in miraculous ways. One example from my life happened 14 years ago. We were moving here from West Point, Mississippi. I was a youth director at First Presbyterian Church, an EPC church in West Point. And West Point is a town of about 15,000 people. We had lived there for four years. And during those four years, houses were for sale the entire four years. The same house, For sale. And 
No telling how long they'd been for sale before that. So the Lord calls us to Rivermont to come to Lynchburg to serve here, which I'm grateful for. But of course, how in the world are we going to sell our house? Nobody moves to West Point, Mississippi. (laughs) So Laura and I pray and we ask and we get a realtor. We put a for sale sign in the yard. And there's a lady who walked every day in our neighborhood. And she liked our house. And the for sale sign is in the yard. And within two hours, we had an offer on our house. The glorious deeds of the Lord. We didn't do anything. The Lord did it. And those are the things that we need to be telling our children to remind them that God loves us, that He is that intimately involved and He is that personal. He does care about us. And He is at work. And again, this instruction is not limited to parents. As the body of Christ, we all share and partake in sharing the message of what God has done for His people. If we have no children of our own, we must declare the things of God to their children, as verses 4 and 5 tell us. So if you are single, if you're an empty nester, a senior saint, you also have a story to tell. Tell our covenant children here at Rivermont about the glorious deeds God has done in your life. Take one of our students to lunch. Visit or adopt a family to spend time with. And remind them what an awesome God we serve and all that He has done in your life. This is a worthy cause because it is our highest goal and priority in life. To pass on the faith to those who follow us. Secondly, God gave us laws to teach our children. Verse 5 says, if you look at your text, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach their children. The Hebrew word Torah, when translated, can mean law, but it also means teaching. So God has given His law to teach our children. And we have that testimony and that teaching in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. If God is at the center of all we do and is the most important thing in our life, the Bible is next in line. Why? The Bible is how we learn about God, about who He is. God has revealed Himself through His Word. And this has great significance for us as parents and for all those telling the coming coming generation about God and who He is. John Piper says this, The Bible should be the sun and the solar system of all that we teach our children. It should not be one among many books. It should be the central book. The other books are dark planets. The Bible is the light-giving sun. All other books should be read in light of this book. All books should be judged by this book. All books should find meaning in in the worldview built by this book, which means that this book must be known first and known better than all other books. So we teach our children about God and His law from the Bible. The law did not and does not save people, but it teaches our children how to live and enjoy life. God's law is an expression of His grace because it's an expression of His character. 
The law shows us what God is like, what He loves, what He hates, what it means to be holy as God is holy. To hate all rules is to hate God Himself because God came up with all the rules and His rules reflect His nature. The law is God's plan for His sanctified people to enjoy communion, to enjoy relationship with Him. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9, remind us the importance of the law and how good it is. It says this, the law revives the soul. The law makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It's righteous altogether. We are to teach our children to order their lives by the light of His law, not by their guesses in the dark about His plan for their life. It is for good reason that Paul tells Timothy to follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. And and then to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. That is the task of parents as well as the, the covenant community as a whole. We follow the pattern, we guard the good deposit, and then pass it on to each and every generation that follows. We do so by having family devotions and teaching from God's Word in our homes. We remind our children of what God requires and that His ways are best and that God always, always has our best interest in mind. I'd be more than happy to provide resources for anyone who needs guidance and help in this area. God has given us a treasure to us by giving us His law. And for children desperately, desperately seeking meaning and significance in life, there is nothing more valuable that we can teach them. Why are these reminders about God's wonders and teaching the law of God so important for the next generation? The main reason was to bring them to faith in God and to lead them to obedience. Look at verse 7 in your text. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. If the children of Israel did not forget His deeds, they would look to and trust Him. If they knew the Lord's commands, obedience would be possible when temptation came. How did Israel do? Teaching the coming generations? Not so hot. Look at verse 8. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Even though they were the descendants of Abraham, taken into covenant with God, even though God had delivered them from slavery to the Egyptians, even though they were God's chosen people, they were stubborn and rebellious. They walked away from God. They departed from the faith in the Lord because they forgot the glorious deeds of the Lord and did not keep His laws. They said all the right things. They professed belief, but they did not remember all the Lord had done and they did not set their hearts on the Lord and His law. They desired things of the world instead of being holy and a set-apart nation. And as a people, they looked very similar to the nations that were around them. 
In Judges chapter 2, Joshua died, and we read this in verse 10, shortly after his burial. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And this was a common theme throughout the Old Testament again and again and again. They did not know the Lord. They did not follow His law. They did not remember Him. So that leads to the third point. That we need to teach our children to learn from past mistakes. Psalm 78 mentions three specific sins committed by Israel. First, they did not trust God. You see this in verses 18 and 19. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? After the exodus out of Egypt, Israel complained about a lack of food and they put God to the test. When their food supply ran short, instead of humbly asking God for food and quietly trusting him to supply it, they challenged him. Even mocking God by asking, can God spread a table in the wilderness? In their complaints, they doubted the concern and provision of God for his people, forgetting all that he had done for them. And by the way, if you're wondering if God can spread a table in the wilderness for his people, the answer is yes. David tells us in Psalm 23, verse 5, You, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Next, They they forgot God's power. We see this in verses 41 through 43. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power or the day when He redeemed them from the foe, when He returned to signs in Egypt and His marvels in the fields of Zoan. The people of Israel obviously were not telling the coming generations about the glorious deeds of the Lord and the wonders of His might. How could Israel have forgotten the power of God and how He delivered them out of Egypt? The Nile River turning to blood, the locusts, the the frogs, the flies, the Lord passing over their firstborn. It seems like it would be hard to forget, but that's exactly what happened. And in their forgetfulness, they became disloyal. The last sin of Israel was this, false worship or idolatry. Verses 56 through 58 say this, Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep His testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked Him to anger with their high places. They moved Him to jealousy with their idols. The law of God is abundantly clear that the Lord and the Lord alone is to be worshipped. God is a jealous God And as our creator, he has every right to command and demand that we worship him alone. Yet Israel worshiped the Baals and other false gods that were found in the land of Canaan. So we teach our children to learn from past failures and sins of God's people, including ours. And there are many, many to choose from. Finally... And most importantly, we teach our children that we need a Savior. 
I think we would all agree that we need to teach the coming generation about the Lord's glorious deeds, the importance of God's law. Yet, we probably identify with not trusting God, forgetting this power, and worshiping the things of this world more than doing the first two things. And you're probably thinking, oh, this is the pastor of student families talking. He is knocking, he's sitting home runs at, you know, at home with this. He's doing all the right things. And I'll tell you this, that even as the pastor of student families, I am woefully inconsistent in doing what God has called me to do with my three boys at home. It's so easy for me to follow the pattern of Israel and commit the same sins that they did. I was sharing the gospel with someone last week and he said this to me. He said, I bet since you have God in your life, I guess you're always satisfied. My response shocked him. I said, no. I said, I'm dissatisfied every day of my life. I too am a great sinner in need of a great Savior. I don't trust God and His financial provision when things get tight, even though He's provided for me and my family time and time again. I moan and groan about the coronavirus and forget His power, that nothing is too hard for our God. I worship and look for worth in my marriage and college football. Oh, is that a, that's a mistake after last night. <laughs> and my job and working out and bo- my boy's accomplishments. This is why I need a Savior and why we need a Savior. And this is why the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, left His throne, came to this earth for us. He was the true Israelite, the one who did what Israel could not do, the one who did what we cannot do. And think about the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, compared to the three ways Israel sinned. First, Israel faced the temptation related to food. Jesus faced the same when in his hunger and weakness, the devil tempted him to turn the stones into bread. But Jesus resisted the temptation by trusting God and his word. Second, Israel forgot about the power of God. How God delivered Israel from Egypt, opened the Red Sea and led them into the promised land. Jesus faced the same temptation when the devil asked him to show God's power by throwing himself down from the, excuse me, from the pinnacle of the temple to make God rescue him. Jesus knew this was a temptation to test God, but Jesus, who always remembered the power of his father, rejected testing God. Third, Israel faced the temptation about worship. They failed and worshipped idols. Jesus faced the same temptation when the devil offered him the kingdoms of the world in exchange for worshipping him. Israel disobeyed and worshipped false gods. Jesus obeyed and worshipped the one and only true God. So as we think about teaching our children, there is nothing, nothing more important than teaching them about Jesus and what He has done. The most glorious deed of all is that God sent His Son to live a perfect life for us, to die on the cross and be raised for us on the third day. 
We need to teach our children this as well. That our standing before God is not based on our satisfaction with Him. But the good news of the gospel is this. That our Savior, Jesus Christ, was always satisfied with His Father. And in perfect relationship with Him. Even when the cross was looming. And by faith in Christ, we can stand with confidence before a holy God. Because the righteousness of Christ has been placed upon us. And when God looks upon us, He sees Christ. He doesn't see us. Praise God. But He sees Christ and His righteousness. We should confess and repent before children when we fail and sin against them. We should teach our children to keep the law, but also teach them because of sin, we do not keep the law. But Jesus kept the law perfectly for us. We should tell them we obey because we love God, not because we're trying to earn His favor and make Him like us more. God can't like us any more than He does because He likes us because of what Jesus has done for us. We tell them to rest in the finished work of Christ. And that their identity is not based on grades. It's not based on scholarships. It's not based on how many followers they have on Instagram. It's not based on what sports teams that they make. It's not based on what part in a play they get. Or what friend group that they're a part of. It's based upon Christ again and what He has done. It is on this side of the cross that we have the greatest story of all to tell. As I close, one of my favorite songs is called The Story. And it's by a band named Cademan's Call. And the chorus says this. Oh, can you tell me the story of all of your glory, of your rising again? Because I'm in love with the mystery of how our sad history can turn out for good. How true for Israel. How true for us. We have such a sad history. Filled with lack of trust. Forgetting about the power of God. Chasing after empty idols and and things of this world that we think are going to make us happy. Yeah, because of Jesus. Our sad history can and will turn out for good. Because God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Let us pray. Now, Father, You are good. And Lord, we praise You. Lord, we thank You for Jesus. Lord, thank You that You turn our sad history into good. And Lord, help us by the power of Your Spirit to... Remember these things and that you would make us more and more like Christ. Lord, we thank you that this is not the end of the story, but there's a greater story coming. One that we will be with you forever. We'll live in perfect relationship with you where there will be no more sin. And that we will know who you are, that we will see you face to face. Lord, give us perseverance. Lord, help us to endure to the end. Oh Lord, we plead for you because... Lord, we know that you are the giver of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.